U.S. officials are searching for Chinese malware hidden inside American defense systems. According to the New York Times, China covertly planted malicious code inside networks supporting U.S. military bases. The malware has been described by one official as a ticking time bomb. If a conflict breaks out over Taiwan, China could use the code to slow down a U.S. military response. Amid the hunt for Chinese malware, U.S. House representatives have proposed a bill to lift arms restrictions on Taiwan. David, this sounds pretty terrifying. How concerned is the White House? Well, they're pretty concerned, Paula, and there have been a lot of meetings taking place in the Situation Room about this. A Chinese malware campaign is raising alarms in Washington. According to the New York Times, China has hidden computer code in networks controlling the power grids, communication systems, and water supplies of military bases in the U.S. and around the world. This could allow hackers to disrupt or delay U.S. military operations in the event of a conflict, such as a Chinese attack on Taiwan. This also comes at a time that China has ramped up threats against Taiwan, which President Biden has vowed to defend. Obviously not a coincidence, right? Not a coincidence, we think. We don't know that this is entirely about Taiwan, but clearly partly about it. It could create chaos in the physical world from the virtual realm of information. That's the first thing. Second, it could cut off or confuse the U.S. military communications and battlefield management. Third, such results could affect the physical world, reducing the accuracy of U.S. troop reinforcements to Taiwan and firepower strikes. So many such instances of CCP hack attacks have been found. Amid heightened Chinese aggression, Washington has stepped up efforts to protect Taiwan, following lawmakers in the Senate. U.S. House representatives have proposed their own version of the Taiwan Peace Through Strength Act. The bill requires the U.S. to prioritize arms sales to Taiwan. It proposes amending the Taiwan Relations Act so that weapons sold to Taiwan aren't limited to those of a defensive character. It can be said that it seeks to strengthen Taiwan to promote peace. It provides for regular exercises and more weapons, including more advanced weapons, including weapons of a non-defensive nature, in order to deter China. There's an extremely good chance that Congress will pass this bill. What's worth observing is whether the White House signs it into law. This bill would greatly improve Taiwan's security and stability and its relations with major allies. The bill must be approved by all relevant committees in both the House and Senate. Then it must be signed by U.S. President Joe Biden before taking effect. But even at this stage, Washington has already made clear its mounting concern over the Taiwan Strait. Turning to the 2024 election, DPP presidential candidate Lai Ching-de has staked his flag in South Korea. Last Sunday, his team opened a campaign support group in Seoul called Trust Taiwan. The office is the first to be established by any DPP candidate in South Korea. At the opening ceremony, Lai was represented by former DPP chairman Zhuo Rongtai and party lawmaker Michelle Lin. Let's hear from them. This is the first time in history we've been able to set up a presidential campaign support group in South Korea. It's very exciting. The cadres at this campaign support group are young people, very young people. They symbolize how South Korea will bring in a burst of youthful energy, trust Taiwan style. Besides outstanding Taiwanese entrepreneurs, there are also third and fourth generation overseas Taiwanese. They are all very young. The average age is between 30 and 40. 
For the remaining 100 plus days of lighting this campaign, they will be a very important force. The Trust Taiwan Network already has offices in Japan, the Philippines, and Malaysia. Lai's team will open one in Australia on August 3rd, New Zealand on August 4th, Vietnam on August 17th, and Thailand on August 18th. Civic groups are planning a protest for pedestrians' rights on August 20th. They want the government to address Taiwan's reputation as a hell for pedestrians by passing a dedicated law for traffic safety. At a press conference promoting the event, lawmakers said 400 pedestrians are killed on Taiwan's roads each year, with another 1,000 left paralyzed after getting hit by vehicles. Responding to the upcoming event, Transport Minister Wang Guocai pledged to take in all the public suggestions in order to create a safer space for pedestrians. In total, firefighters in Taiwan were called out on emergencies 1.3 million times. Surprisingly, 30 percent of those calls, involving about 300,000 people, were due to traffic accidents. A firefighter furnishes stats on traffic accidents as part of a campaign for pedestrian rights. The Vision Zero Association will hold a protest called Stop Killing Pedestrians on August 20th at Taipei's Katagalan Boulevard. The group wants transport officials to erase Taiwan's reputation as a living hell for pedestrians. Every year, 400 pedestrians die on Taiwan's roads. There are 3,000 injuries or deaths every year, and more than 1,000 people are left paralyzed. Lawmakers spoke out from across party lines. They said that last year, 394 pedestrians were killed in traffic accidents. From this January to May alone, two children died after being run over, and more than 500 children were injured after being hit by vehicles. Taiwan People's Party lawmaker Lai Xiangling has experienced firsthand the dangers of Taiwan's streets. I'm in a wheelchair because I fractured my hip bone. I had to get surgery and get two fasteners installed. The scar on my face is because I was on my scooter taking my child home from school and we had an accident. My helmet visor broke and cut my face. Lai spoke about the difficulty of using a wheelchair in Taiwan. Uneven paving on sidewalks forces wheelchair users onto the road, where they come in close quarters with motor vehicles. Ruling and opposition lawmakers called on the government to apply the three E's of traffic management, engineering, education and enforcement. Already they have elicited some response. In late June, the government raised the top fine for failing to yield to pedestrians to 6,000 NT. In the months since, Taipei alone has issued 2,497 fines for failing to yield. The central government has provided 40 billion NT to local governments so that they can make improvements to transport infrastructure and engineering projects. But there isn't enough coordination and communication between central and local governments. As the ruling party, we should strongly request that improvements are implemented. The appeals of the street demonstration are consistent with the position of the Ministry of Transport, that is, respecting the right-of-way of pedestrians. We will review all the suggestions brought up with a humble mind. With an eye on achieving people-centered transport, the government said it would listen to the public's appeals. Activists are demanding the urgent passage of a traffic safety law to make Taiwan's roads safer for pedestrians. The 2023 Hakka Expo will kick off in Taoyuan on August 11th.
The opening event will be a three-night showcase of Hakka culture featuring more than 40 performances across three themes, mountain, river, and sea. The band Zixuan and Slow Train, a two-time Golden Melody Award winner for Best Hakka Album, sings at a press event promoting the 2023 Hakka Expo. The expo opens August 11. The Hakka ethnic group has a long and storied history. It spread from China's central plain to its coast, then onward to Southeast Asia and Taiwan. We will depict this journey using three landscapes, the mountain, river and sea. For three nights starting on August 11th, it will be presented in the form of music and dance performances. During the press conference, organizers said the expo would incorporate Taoyuan's smart city features using new technologies to converse with the future. The expo will span local and global elements and blend the traditional with the innovative in order to position Taiwan as a new international platform for Hakka cultural exchanges. If the Hakka people don't have self-confidence, if they don't see themselves as mainstream, then they will forever be on the margins. So I have always felt that, to me, it's important that the Hakka community be allowed to lead us forward. Perhaps this is the first time in Taiwan's history that we're seeing ourselves, the Hakka people, as global citizens, that we're seeing our unique position in the world. I am extremely thankful to the Taoyuan government for working tirelessly and accelerating their preparations for this event. Through a diversity of performance styles, the expo will showcase the lives, cultures and worlds of the Hakka community. A Malaysian immigrant in Taiwan has dedicated herself to helping others find their love of nature. Zhang Shi Kim and her husband built an AI tool that can identify sea creatures based on their decades of experience exploring Taiwan's coast. Zhang also illustrates storybooks based on the healing power of nature, drawing on stories from childhood. All of her work revolves around her reverence for the earth and her longing for humans to help keep ecosystems delicately balanced. Malaysian immigrant Chung Shi Kim loves to come to the seaside to search for creatures washed up by the tide. Accompanied by her husband, biologist Chung Yang Wen. The ocean has been changing for many years. We see the rising tide of ocean waste, but we don't see the gradual disappearance of marine species. Chung and Chen have created an AI identification database for the tidal species that they have been observing for the last 20 years. They turn their camera onto the sea creatures they find, and the identification system can immediately produce the name of the species on screen. So far, the database can recognise almost 200 tidal species. The couple believe that only by becoming sensitive to the distinctions of nature will we learn to care for the ocean and the earth. Although Taiwan is an island, many people don't know the ocean. Maybe helping people get to know the ocean is a way to inspire them to love and protect it. The technology that distinguishes them is quite interesting. Chang's other life is her career as a storybook illustrator. Her books revolve around memories of her childhood home, such as the time when she and her father planted a rambutan tree. She also tells the story of the migration that she made together with her mother and her grandmother. Her third book is about the taste of home, a wild herb feast. 
The wild herbs, as the name implies, were the plants from the forest in our hometown. Tropical rainforests are gradually vanishing, so we want to wake people up to pay attention to issues in the natural environment. Chang's creative projects continue. She has lots of stories to tell about the forests of her childhood and her adventures with the creatures from the sea and hopes her love for nature will inspire others to cherish the beauty that is around us. A class action lawsuit is going up against Costco over its compensation package for tainted berries. This May, after hepatitis A was found on two berry products, Costco gave customers a full refund and a 500 NT subsidy for medical testing. But the Consumers Foundation says the amount is, quote, insincere. Let's hear from the consumer group. We have not seen Costco take action to protect consumer rights, which is deeply regrettable. Thereby, we have no choice but to file this class action lawsuit. We believe that Costco was aware of the issue and even attempted to cover it up. So in accordance to the law, it must provide compensation for material and immaterial damages plus three times that amount as a punitive penalty. In 2014, the Consumers Foundation filed a lawsuit against Top Pot Bakery for falsely marketing bread as all-natural. It secured total compensation of 3.42 million NT for 864 customers. Now it's preparing to take on Costco, which has yet to issue a response. The fitness sector is seeing fast recovery from the pandemic as gym goers get back to their workouts. Beside the usual chain gyms, there's a growing crop of small, independent businesses. One new market player is the East Japan Railway Company, which has opened a gym with a uniquely Japanese feel. You certainly know what a traditional gym looks like, but have you ever seen a workout room like this one? One yoga pose after another gets sweat dripping on the mat. The flooring is made with stone slabs that are set to speed up calorie burning with far infrared wavelengths. I feel how my body sweats slowly throughout the entire workout. After the class, my body feels good and I can see that I really sweat a lot. This enormous 380-inch screen shows a virtual racetrack. Hop on a spinning bike and pedal away into another world. And these aren't your run-of-the-mill gym showers. Here, there are Japanese-style thermal baths and even a sauna. Sometimes I feel tired after working and coming to the gym. So I like to take a bath to speed up my circulation after I exercise. It helps me recover better. Taiwan's fitness market is very attractive. The fitness club market especially has grown a lot in just a few years. That's why we decided to enter Taiwan now. Within three years, we would like to open a second and a third branch. East Japan Railway Company isn't alone in jumping into fitness. Coffee house chain Louisa Coffee and online learning platform Jijun are also branching into health and fitness, a segment that's valued at 15 billion NT a year. New Taipei City Youth Library has a new strategy to provide technological facilities for young people. 
Instead of focusing on the Print Resources Library's traditionally center, the library has created an innovative learning center where robots, drones, and other tech allow children and young adults to explore 21st century skills. They even have a new esports room with pro gaming facilities where gamers can compete in team tournaments. Librarians want to provide less well-off families with access to the digital resources of tomorrow. Computers, keyboards, mice, and earphones. This is the professional equipment needed for five-person team esports battles. In the middle is a huge screen for the game. This is the esports room at New Taipei City Youth Library. Often there are three or four teams queuing to use it. They offer very professional esports chairs, keyboards, and even computers here. And alongside the equipment, there are chairs for an audience to sit and watch the contest. You can also play on a switch and work up a sweat. Or work out your fingers on this remote control and fly this tiny drone into the air. The innovative learning center at the library offers drones and Lego robots to play with, as well as occasional innovation classes. And when you're winding down, you can listen to a robot read a story. Or program a robot's actions with an app on your phone and choreograph a dance. I often spend a whole day here, usually playing video games and then playing with a drone. I play with my parents. Our innovative learning center provides facilities such as robots, programming design tools and drones for readers' use. We also want to give children from disadvantaged families access to esports, digital toys and technological education facilities in the innovative learning center. This library has thrown off the constraints of conventional library facilities, taking on the challenge of offering young people the equipment they really want and the popular technology that families can use to learn and play together. An engineer in Xinzhou has made a radical career change and now teaches a traditional art to children. After two decades in technology, Chen Wenbing decided there had to be more to life than calculations. He took up the traditional craft of sugar painting. Children attending his class learn how to use a special sugar painting pen. He invented it to keep little fingers safe from hot melted sugar. Chen spoke to us about his hope of inspiring beautiful memories and creativity in his students. This candy is both a delicious treat and a traditional art. Sugar painter Chen Wenbin pours sugar crystals into the pan and adds water. When you boil the sugar, the ratio is about 2 to 1. Like if the sugar is 2, the water is half, 1. You can't stir it when it's cooking. Careful work makes the dream come true. When the caramel is bubbling furiously, it becomes a beautiful golden color. It's poured into molds and cooled. Those cooled syrup batons are heated up once more to melt them down, and then they can be used to create beautiful images. Then, more and more children and parents wanted to give it a try. They'd say, hey sir, can I have a go? 
Chen initially feared that kids would scold themselves on the hot caramel. So he developed this sugar art pen. It gives children an easy way to make candy artworks that they can take home and eat. See, you can make art out of sugar. Maybe after this call, you can have a think about what other objects around you you can use to make stuff. Everyone gets imaginative ideas from the sugar painting class. Chen does not come from an art school background. He was an engineer for 20 years, struggling to balance work and life. Then he remembered a moment in his childhood when he saw some sugar painting. It made him so happy that he made a decisive career change. Is this really how I'm going to live my life? Do I have to spend my whole life as an engineer? Is this what I want to be for my whole life? Now I don't define it as just a class. I hope people who come to the class can take it away with them in their hearts, and maybe it can be a beautiful memory for them even when they grow up. Chen uses his experience as an engineer to offer this innovative class, and hopes his encouragement to embrace creativity will stay with his young students long after they've eaten their artwork. Now, onto the weather. Typhoon Duxuri has just left us, but another storm is already closing in. Typhoon Kanun may trigger a sea warning from Tuesday night to the early hours of Wednesday. The storm is currently moving in a north-northwesterly direction. It was initially projected to head straight for eastern China, but the latest modeling points to the storm turning northeast and moving toward Japan and South Korea. As for the impact on Taiwan, that's still under observation, but what's clear is that from this Thursday to Sunday, strong southwesterly winds will bring rain to southern and central Taiwan.